Hello, and welcome to season two of the Prima Donna podcast. My name's Nat Grant. I'm a Melbourne-based composer and sound artist. To find out more about the podcast series, visit primadonnapodcast.com. The fourth portrait, the first in this season, is of singer, songwriter and soul musician Jojo Smith. Jojo's been performing as a professional musician for the past 50 years and was the first woman to perform at the Byron Bay Blues and Roots Festival. Okay, I see you talking, talking to you like that, just quietly, um, without too much fuss and bother. <laughs> yeah? Do I need to be any closer? Yeah. Nice and relaxed. I was. I was born in Dunedin, in New Zealand, in South Island. Yeah, do you know where that is? Dunedin? Just underneath Christchurch. So in 1953, I was born there. There's a lot of great musicians who come from there. There are. There's a lot of new, great musicians who come from New Zealand. But uh, certainly some good you know, good players and singers from the South Island. You know, Mark Hunter was one from Dragon. I just loved him. And there's and there some great women as well. Sharon O'Neill was one. You know, I loved her voice. Margaret Ehrlich. Yeah. Got some good songwriters, you know, the Finns and... Yeah, I was always into it. I think I was, I think it was in me from very early on, just something that I really kind of really liked and wanted in my body, in my blood, in my heart, yeah. So I was kind of keen on, on music when I was a little girl and I was always and singing was and, singing and, singing and singing playing the guitar and the ukulele and whatever I could play my little hands on that stage. But my first instrument was actually drums. I think because they were in the house. And so what's in the house you play, you know. So I was in my first band when I was 14. And um, it was actually a, not a bad little band. We were playing lots of uh, Motown stuff, and I was singing and drumming, and uh, I was listening to the Small Faces, <laughs> you know, Stevie Wonder and Dionne Warwick and all those guys. We were playing some great tunes, Four Tops. Um, so that was the start of it. I was off, so I was home on that last bar, so I was pretty much allowed to you know, go out and do stuff. But I was, if I wasn't on the bus, I was in the shit, you know. It was like, right, that's it. But that never happened. <laughs> so I was a lucky person. I, was, I got to play music. Yeah. And did you ever have lessons? No, I didn't have lessons, but I seemed to watch great players and kind of slowly and surely learnt. And, they, you know, they're... They would be the kind of, like I remember when in my first band, I remember um, Split Ends. Do you remember Split Ends? The drummer from Split Ends, his name was Paul Crowther at the time. And I remember him saying to me, hey darling, when you hit your cymbal, 
make sure you had your bass drum too. And I thought, okay, I'll try that. And sure enough, it made that much sense, you know, tons of sense. I'll never forget that day. But uh, I think I'd, you know, been out, out on my first gig and he just watched us play and I thought, he probably thought to himself, I'll give this girl a, a bit of knowledge, you know, to pass on. It's this great, great knowledge. So that was my first lesson. You know, hit your, it's going to hit your cymbal, hit your bass drum. In terms of having been taught, I think I've been taught by a lot of great players, but not actually sat with them. Although I have sat with David Jones, but, you know, that was like sitting with the god of, you know, drummers. But um, watching them play, watching them play the colours, you know, their dynamics and... You know, watching them how they use their hi hat and whether they open and close it, when they open and close it, I don't know, just some funky stuff, you know. Flams, hi hats. I've just watched some great players over time. And they've been encouraging too, you know, really none none that haven't. You got a good feel, love, you know. And you play guitar as well? I do. I do play guitar, like, I've played guitar all my life, really. I mean, you know, look, I've said, probably said to you this, I, I'm not calling myself a drummer and I'm not calling myself a guitarist. I can play both, but whether I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm certainly no master of either, either, either. <laughs> and uh, so, but I do play and I love to do it. I'm probably a better guitar player than I am a drummer, just in terms of feel and groove and stuff like that, yeah. So I write my songs on the guitar, and in, in a band situation, I prefer not to play. I'll set up a groove and then just put the guitar down and let somebody really do the do a job properly. They always say, no, bring your guitar, bring your guitar. So I do, and I set up this feel then I drop it uh, not drop it but I, <laughs> I put it down you know because I reckon that's that's what it's about you know let somebody really who can really do it let them do it same as drummers you know I can sing and play too but man I'd rather have somebody who really can do this stuff do it for me and I think too when you're singing you kind of apply yourself to just one thing rather than 200%, you haven't got 200%, you know, to give. I was in quite a few bands in New Zealand. Look, I was playing drums in a trio. Uh, I played in my first little band. I went off to Christchurch and joined a band after that. I was just singing in it. But it was really, really hard. I was quite young, I was only about 16 or something. And uh, the band was really loud, you know, and I was just screaming my little gnats off and had no idea how to shut these guys up. So it didn't work out that well. Um, played, in, played drums in a great little trio in Dunedin, and that was super. We played a lot of gigs, and we were loved. You know, we were into Elton John and um, David Bowie and Stevie Wonder. Where I can get my hands on Stevie Wonder, I will. And I play play his music because I love him so much. Yeah. I love him so much.
<laughs> and uh, yeah, so that was you know I played drums in that little band. I also played I toured New Zealand in a gospel band for a couple of years, and uh, so that was really part of you know I played drums in that band and a bit of bass and, and a bit of guitar. You know, we played around all the prisons and it was called Certain Sounds. Um, it was all very religious religious at the time, you know. So music's been all an ongoing thing. You know, I think I might have had two day jobs in my life and, uh, you know, one was selling records in a record shop, of course, and the other was um, uh, serving petrol at a gas station. They were both fun jobs and all of that, but that just wasn't what I wanted to do, you know. And you've been a music teacher? Yeah, played me, uh, taught music at... Lauriston Girls School for a long time, 13 and a half years, out at the boarding school out there. Taught at uh, Wangaratta at the conservatorium there, uh, Timbertop. Quite a few schools actually that I can think of, Wangaratta, Yoroa. Uh, great to give out the knowledge. It's good to pass it on, you know, to people who really have no idea and they're just going to get on there and crash the living daylights out of the drums. Well, baby, let me tell you something. It isn't like that. Well, I learned to read. I learned, I got offered this job on, as a drum teacher and uh, so I got into the, the books and learned, you know, how to, how to read, basically. Uh, and and I can read now, you know. So that was a that was a nice learning curve, I thought. Uh, I don't read piano music. I don't read notes. I know how to play chords, so I can you know I can if someone gives me a chord chart, that's okay. But um, yeah, not not the dots and stuff. I came to Australia in 1975. Yeah, I was very heavily involved in the church uh, over there, which was, uh, you know, okay at the time. But uh, as soon as I came out, you know, and told of it, well, didn't even tell anyone really, but as soon as I came out and got, found out that I was gay, I got excommunicated from the church. Stuck, because I was kind of in it, you know, which some would say, well, what a bigger fool you. But, um, you know, you grow through that stuff. And, and I got, um, you know, I had to go and do exorcism and all that stuff. Really full on. So, yeah, yeah, you know, when you're young and you're kind of vulnerable and you're believing in this shit, um, ha! Yeah, I think it could have been my saving grace. Yeah, yeah. to get out. So is that why you moved here? I, I got out, yeah. I came out here and uh, went to Brisbane. And I came out here as a as a singer, really, and I had a whole bunch of charts. And at that time, we were doing things called floor shows. So we would just present our... Go to a club, get our gig. By the You know, the agent would give us the gigs. We'd go to the... Uh, the RSL club, go to the band room, take your charts to the band, introduce yourself to the band, give them your charts, walk them through the songs, and then say to them, I'll count you in. 
and get out there and do your gig and then take your charts and go home. Sometimes we do three or four of those in a weekend. And at that time they were paying okay money, if I recall correctly, they were, they were giving us 120, 130 a show. And the show would only go for 50 minutes, 40 minutes. So, you know, you get two of those in a night, six of those in a weekend, you'd be, we had a lot of money, I think. We didn't know what to do with it, but we had a lot of it. But anyway, well, they were good days and they were really, you know, they paid you fairly. So I did that for a while and I also uh, joined a band over there called, uh, up in Brisbane called the Ride Band. And that was a really fantastic band because vocally, uh, vocally it was excellent. The, the lead singer's name was Peter Roberts, a beautiful, beautiful singer. Oh. In the, in the vein of George Benson, Stevie Wondery kind of vibe. I think that was my attraction anyway. And I was playing drums with, the, with Peter and there was a guy called Ray Oliver on guitar and Cass, someone on bass uh, and a, the odd piano player, they would come and go. But yeah, we, we had a great band. We had, you know, four piece vocals. And we're doing Earth, Wind and Fire and, you know, average white band kind of stuff. And we were, we were together for about six or seven years and we toured the country and, yeah, we went from, you know, Brisbane to Adelaide to Perth to Newcastle to wherever we had to go. Uh, they were great days and they really got you cutting the ropes, you know, learning the shit. But none, none of this sing one song and become a pop star. It was like really work hard and just lug those drums and if that's your gig, that's your gig. First and best dress for the best bedroom, and so we toured the country and did that for ages. And then, and as things do, they came, you know, that came to an end. Um, and I, you know, just was doing. We moved to Melbourne actually at the the end of our time together, and um, we just became very into doing sessions, radio and TV commercials. There was a place in, uh, in South Melbourne called Armstrong's and we would all go there and we were just <laughs> lining up there at nine o'clock in the morning for our day, you know, to what we were doing, you know, I don't know, little commercials for radio stations and stuff like that. Yeah, starting from five second commercials going up to the minute, you know, it was just amazing. Well, that was back in, in the late 70s, early 80s, yeah. And uh, about, about that time I was, you know, having getting a bit of a name for myself and, you know, managed to kind of get a, get a couple of tours together with, uh, I think it was the first one was Marsha Hines. We'd been out on the road with Marsha for a couple of years as a backing vocalist and percussionist. But uh, they were great years. They were really good years, travelling around in a bus together. There's John English Band as well. So there was about 16 of us maniacs on a bus and, you know, just living it up, basically, and having a good time. Yeah. And Renee Gay as well? Yeah, I did Renee as well. Yeah, she, uh, she actually gave me a call, and I thought that it was my mate, 
Jenny having a go at me, right? I thought she was having a go at me. I said, oh, fuck, who, what the fuck are you doing, Rick and me? She's like, I beg your pardon? I went, who is that? It's Renee. I went, oh, shit. Sorry, mate. Yeah, when do you want me to start? <laughs> it was quite funny. I just thought it was a friend having a go. Because I love Renee, you know. She was like, it was... I kind of really looked like, I loved, love her voice, you know. So, of course, I was looking up to that. She was the first person I heard when I first got here, you know. I went and heard Renee go and went, bloody Nora, I'm going home. You know, this is too much. This is too much soul for one girl to handle. Where does that come from? Uh, you know, and in between that, I've been playing drums and, uh, you know, on different gigs and a little bit of uh, freelancing. You know, I might get a call to come and play on Great Keppel Island, you know, because such and such has broken his thumb or whatever. I made that up. But, you know, like, those gigs are great. You just go and learn a repertoire, have a, have a Tuesday afternoon rehearsal with the band and find out what they were playing and go and do a couple of weeks on an island somewhere else. You know about that. You know, it's kind, it's kind of cool, and it's different, and you don't know the stuff, and and it's a bit challenging, you know. And you get to play his kit, which yeah. is kind of nice, you know. It's usually better than the one we've got, yeah. at some some level, yeah. Um, and then after that, after after I did uh, after I did Renee, I needed a bloody holiday. After that, um, I moved to Byron Bay for a while. And oh, actually, Mullumbimby, and um, up on the north coast. Yeah, so I lived there for sixteen years, and um, I had a great was in a great band up there called Hip Pocket, and it really was a beautiful band, and it was very musically orientated, and uh, so we were playing tracks off, you know, album tracks and just really nice music, not pop music, so to speak. Sometimes we'd drop in a, you know, a Grace Jones or a, I don't know, Aretha Franklin or something, if I was to dare sing any of her songs, which I did dare to. Um, but yeah, there was, it was a gorgeous band and we had some great gigs and we were on fire every time we played, you know, we cooked from the word go, it was just gorgeous. And we made some records and, uh, yeah, played the, played a lot of places, did a lot of things. And, uh, I, you know, of course, great drummers, so they were the people that I was watching all the time. And, and they would be so gracious as to say, hey, come and play a couple of tunes, you know, on the gig and sing, you know, show people what you're doing. And, and that was always really nice, you know, to be trusted in that way and given that respect, I think. So yeah, we did that, and I and I wrote a cup. I wrote some tunes up there and made my own CD, which was really a first for me. Um, that was an all original ch- CD, and uh, that was nice. That was good fun, and actually had a lovely, uh, beautiful Bonetta Fields came and did backing vocals on that record for me, which was really blew me away. Um, yeah, I couldn't believe that I would be so lucky. Because that, that was a big surprise, you know, having having a voice like that on my record, you know. 
Yeah, she she was uh, she she's you know Steely Dan, Donald Fagan, Boss Skaggs backing vocalist, and came out here and you know got into the got into the scene here and to Tim Fenn thing and Renee and she was just exceptional. She just boxed her harmonies, bum, 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 one, two, three, no dramas. And then she was awesome and gracious and very generous too. I, did, I mean, I chased her up the garden path to give her money which she wouldn't take. And I thought that was pretty special. So, yeah, that's, some great things happened over time. Yeah. And Byron Bay, you were the first woman to play I was. I don't know how that happened, but it was pretty much male. Well, it happened because it was male orientated. But um, yeah, I remember playing there with the band Hip Pocket that I was in, and we were backing some other players as well. Uh, that was pretty nice. Played at the Piggery. It was a very small festival, so you know it's big now. I've, I'm I'm going to apply to come play again. Have you played there since? No. And what year was that? I don't know, to be honest with you. Uh, 1985 or something. And uh, so, you know, just keep playing. I've moved around a lot. I moved away from Byron Bay down. I realised that I hadn't kind of finished in the city yet and um, was all getting a bit sleepy. So I moved back down to Victoria and uh, to a place called Goffs Bay near Mansfield um, and you know I met some local people there and got playing some music and played drums and a couple of trios there with some people still doing that um, and bought a little house you know which was amazing and now I live in Violet Town which is a couple of hours north of Melbourne. Um, and I, I moved there because it was, again, it was cheap to buy and I needed a bigger house because I only had a little tiny wee house the size of a mouse. And now I can play hide and seek in this house. <laughs> this is great. Uh, and it's a nice town to live in. And in fact, you know, the wonderful Ella Hooper is, is uh, well, used to was born there, resident for a long, long time, and she's our killing Heidi girl, you know. Yeah, so she put she put Violet Town on the map, really, apart from a terrible train crash that happened there once. I wanted to ask you about the tour, Lucy. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, what happened was not last year, the year before. I said to Lucy Thorne, "Hey." Lucy, next year I would have been playing music for 50 years. And I said, I'd love to do a tour, you know, how how great that would be. And she said, that's doable, you know. I said, 50 gigs, you know, oh, big mouth. Anyway, she said, look, that's no dramas, mate. And she went outside with a whiskey and a fag and a bit of paper and a pen and came back about 20 minutes later and said here look check this out and she showed me a whole lot of and I said wow what's that you know she said well they're venues and places we could start with that's a start so she was serious um and she nicked off and got this grant from the Arts Victoria thank you Arts Victoria to 
tourists, herself and Hamish Stewart, the drummer, and myself. And so with that, she just bloody got on this thing and organised a tour of 50 gigs. And we did it. We started in May and we ended in December. <laughs> and it was really wonderful. Yeah. And I mean, really, we got so close to doing 50 gigs. I think we might have done 45 or something like that at the end of the day. But by crikey dicks, she, you know, she showed me some of these places of, you know, wonderful places in Australia that I'd never been to. And took me to some magic, magic venues and introduced me to some wonderful people. So that was pretty special for me to do that. Um, and I admire her greatly for that. And, and I, I love her music anyway. And, you know, she's a great guitar player and beautiful writer. Good God. Great songwriter. And a lovely singer. Uh, beautiful writer. Her poetry is, is what she is. She's a poet. And it runs in the family and it's clear. It's in the blood, you know. But she plays a lot of gigs uh, with Hamish Stewart, the drummer. So he came out on the road with us and there we were, the three of us, you know, flying about the countryside and driving around and doing some amazing things. So we ended, finished that up in uh, December last year, uh, 2017. And uh, now, and we're back into it again. We just did one last weekend in Yakandanda, so we ain't finished yet. She reminded me. You know, it was just really beautiful, and I felt really amazed that somebody would take me out on the road. You know, somebody twenty years younger than me, who could be, I don't know, just have that in their wishes to do that. It's so beautiful and. I loved that, you know, I felt very loved and respected and pretty special, gotta say. I think she feels that way too. Yeah, way that's she, what I, that's right. Yeah. Right, yeah. I think it was probably a real privilege for her. Right, yeah, well, uh, look, it was, for me too, it was, big time. And we had a really great time. We didn't have bad, you know, no, <laughs> we didn't have one hard time. I'm not a hard person to get on with. I'm easy to get on with. So, you know, we just get on with it. Travelled around the country and here we are now. There's some, you know, there's always something in the, in the wire. I've got to go and write some new tunes. I know Lucy's writing some new tunes at the moment. But they're not easy things for me to do. I, I don't find writing that easy. Uh, not if I want to really put some proper thought into it and make, you know, make a good song. They're hard to make, I think. Yeah. Again, you know, be careful what you call yourself. Songwriter? I don't know. I write songs, but I wouldn't call myself a songwriter. I think there's an art form. I really do. And, and Lucy's just outright a poet, you know, that's what she is. She's got a very different way of writing to me. How do you, do the words come first to you or the music or something else? Depends what I'm doing, really. I, I, I could do, you know, it could be vacuuming and all of a sudden I might just hear the drone of the vacuum and just fire up on all cylinders and look out. That's it. Got to sit down and write that. But that, you know, little times, different things happen. 
I don't need a train wreck to write a song, but I liked an event, you know, I like an event to get me going, or a reason. Yeah, I need a reason. Have you written with other people? Yeah, I've done some co-writing. Well, Lucy and I have written a couple of things. Uh, Monica Whiteman and I have written some songs. Greg Lyon and I have written some songs. Greg was the bass player in his pocket. We've been friends for about 30 years, you know. Um, but I do like co-writing because I reckon that's, you know, that's where it's, that's where it's at. Because magic, people have got little magical things that you would not have, you know. I, I do know that I get, the older I get, the, I get a little tired out there, especially on the later nights. Old Granny Smith, you know, needs a little nap in the afternoon to keep keep the old energy up. Mind you, once I'm up there, yeah, this thing comes about 18, <laughs> not 65. <laughs> it's funny. What a great life. What a great life. We really are we lucky. Really are lucky. Um, but it's a lifetime. It's, a lifetime. It's, it's an interesting. It's an interesting thing, really. It's a gift, it's a gift to, have, to have. But you've got to really keep that really in keep mind. mind. I think you can't be going. This is something I've done. You know, you really have to kind of be really cool. Pass it around. Give it. Give it gently. Be kind with it. Be loving with it. I, you know, there's there's the album Standing in the Love Light that I made up in the North Coast, which I'm really happy I made. Very proud of that record. I haven't made one since then, though. That's quite a while ago. About five years ago now. But I'm not one of these people that go, oh, I've got to have another record, I've got to have another record. I'm near the end, and I, I just ain't got, now I ain't got the time. You know that I'm wasted, and I cannot find my way home. Hope, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Prima Donna podcast. For more information or to subscribe for future episodes, visit primadonnapodcast.com.